Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Welcome. The Word of Hope sermon series is a ministry of Grace Family Church of Rhode Island. It was instituted to bring sound teachings from the Word of God to as many people as possible. Our purpose is to offer you a message that is both practical and contemporary, that brings the Word of God to light in a way that makes sense in daily life. As you listen to this message, it is our hope and prayer that the Lord will bless you through it and bring you hope, comfort, and guidance. And now, Pastor Kotze. Brethren, uh, I don't need to tell you that we live in uncertain times, do I? If it's not one thing, we'll be another. Sometimes we find rumors of wars that are all over the place. Sometimes we struggle with finances. Sometimes we struggle with relationships. And when we don't struggle with all those things, we struggle with things that nature throws at us. But there's one thing in these uncertain times that can really encourage us. There's one certainty that we absolutely have, and that is the certainty that God has not abandoned us, that God has not left us to the side, and that God is in us and with us, and he has an absolutely awesome, majestic, glorious plan for all of us. That is what Paul here in Romans 5 addresses. Let's look at it together and, and, and see, first of all, he, he just reminded the church in Rome that the cross was necessary as a payment for our sin. And that the resurrection was his life and righteousness in us. And here in verse 1 of chapter 5, then it says, Therefore, now when you read therefore, you know that he's connecting a previous thought to what is about to come. So he's connecting the fact that the cross was a payment for our sin and the resurrection his life and righteousness in us because, yes, we are justified by his death. But if we are justified by his death, we are made alive and we are saved by his life. You know that he's connecting a previous thought to what is about to come. So he's connecting the fact that the cross was the payment for our sin and the resurrection, his life and righteousness in us because, yes, we are justified by his death, but if we are justified by his death, we are made alive and we are saved by his life. And because of that, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a big word, that peace. We don't have to be afraid. In fact, elsewhere, Jesus, when he spoke to his disciples, said something that always, always struck me as, as being kind of really, really? <laughs> he says, don't be afraid of those that can only kill you. I'm thinking, really? Only kill me? And then I pause and think, and I say, yeah, that's right. The most they can do is kill me. But that's graduation day. And that's where real life begins, a life that never ends. And so, you know, as, as we're justified, and we're justified by faith, by that trust that we have in him, and we addressed that before. We talked about it before earlier in the book of Romans. 
then we can have the peace with God. And that peace with God is through our Lord Jesus Christ. But that peace is not to be intended, it's not to be understood as the absence of conflict. Peace in this context is active, not just passive. The absence of conflict would be almost like saying that light is the absence of darkness. And I would say nonsense. Darkness is the absence of light, but the light dispels the darkness. Where do you have one beam of light, you cannot have darkness. Where you have God's peace, you cannot have unrest. So instead of looking at peace as the passive aspect of the equation, peace is actually the active part of the equation. And the turmoil that we experience within ourselves is not the active part, it's the absence of that peace, just like darkness is the absence of that light. So we have peace actively in our daily living, in everything that we think, we say, we do, in everything we experience. We can go through trials and troubles, and we'll see them in a moment that that fits in the equation, but we can go through the very difficult times and yet be completely, totally at peace in him. Through whom, verse 2, also we have obtained our introduction by faith into his, this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. Wow. This must have been written by the Apostle Paul because the, it's packed with meaning in just a few words. And he, he seems to really pack a lot in what he writes and what God inspires him to write. It is through Jesus Christ that we have obtained our introduction into his grace. We have been immersed into that grace. We have been introduced into that grace. We have been ushered into his grace, and again, by faith, by that trust. A trust that says, it's not what I like or what I want, Lord, but what you say is right, because you are right. You know, I'm, I'm finishing preparing the book for the Course on Theology, and there's one phrase that I, I, I had to pen down, I had to put down there. At the very beginning, because when we study theology, usually, you know what happens, people start arguing. People start saying, I am right, you're wrong. My version of theology is better than your version. My ideas are better than your ideas. So I had to introduce that by saying, you know what, maybe that's not the case. Maybe we need to approach our study of theology from a perspective of humility, knowing that there is only one who has everything perfect and right, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he did not come around and brag and say, my version is better than your version, although he did correct things that needed to be corrected. And I had to conclude that introduction by saying, you know what, if we use this belligerent approach to theology, maybe one day we're going to hear him saying, I am right, and you, my child, are quite wrong. But as we look at this, as we look at that trust that we're called to have, it calls for us to say, I am not the one who's right. You, God, you, Lord, are the one who's right. You are the one, and I trust you. I trust you with all my heart. I trust you with all my being. I trust that what you say is right, and what I feel, what I want, what I like, what I'm craving, may not just be the right thing. And in that trust, we're introduced into his grace because we begin to see his grace at work in us and in everyone around us. And we stand in that grace. And notice the remaining part of that sentence, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. Listen, this is not little stuff that we're talking about here. We're not talking about formulas for you to have a good day. We're not talking about karma. 
We are not talking about how to be rich, how to be wealthy, how to be healthy, or anything like that. We're talking about big stuff. We're talking about the very glory of God having been given to you. Do you realize what that means? If you don't, you might want to get on your knees and start praying and say, Lord, please open my eyes, open my mind, because I don't get it. I don't understand. What does that, 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 that mean? What does that mean? That you have given me your glory. And you will begin in a journey that is absolutely, totally amazing. And there is a reason why Paul has said, we exalt in the hope of that glory, because we know we're going, we have received it from God. And we, even though we don't see that fulfillment yet, even though we don't see the outcome of it yet, we only see, like Paul said elsewhere, like through a smoke glass. Remember when we had the eclipse? Everybody was going around with the smoke glasses and so on. You don't see very well through them, right? And that's us. We don't see very well as yet, but one day we will see exactly the way it is. And even though that fulfillment, that fullness is not yet manifest, we know that we have that glory because the Lord Jesus, as he prayed to the Father in John 17, said, Father, the glory that you have given me, I have given to all of you. I have given to them. It's past tense. And then Paul adds, and not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. Knowing the tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And this is where I say, okay, Paul, you know something that I'm struggling to understand. So I need to read this. I need to understand this because you're saying not only we exalt in the hope of the glory of God, but we exalt in our tribulations. I'm thinking, man, I don't know too many people that would agree with you. Yay, we have another tribulation. Uh, not quite, right? But yet, he says why. Because in our tribulations, we learned what perseverance is. And as we learn perseverance, we shaped our character. And our character increases that hope because of a particular reason. And that reason is expressed in verse 5. Because hope will not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You know, you know when I learned that I cannot feel your pain, but that doesn't mean your pain is not real? It's when I experience my own pain. Up to that point, I would see somebody hurting and suffering and say, oh, yeah, well, I'm sorry you're hurting, but when I experienced that pain, man, that was different. That was the whole difference in the world. All of a sudden, pain was not this thing that people were making up to get their pity party going. All of a sudden, pain became real and very, very annoying, to say the least. All of a sudden, my attention was all on that pain, and that pain was screaming at me, get rid of me, get rid of me. Whatever you do, get rid of me. And it made me understand why so many people struggle, some silently, some quite vocally. But as I begin to understand their challenge, as I begin to understand what they go through, then I begin to understand what compassion is about. I begin to understand that perhaps I don't need to be there criticizing, oh, come on, get over it. Maybe I need to step in that turf with them and say, you know what, let me hold you by the hand. I can't take your pain because I wish I could, but sometimes, and I, I remember being next to my mother in, in, in bed when she was in pain and, and wishing I was be able to take that pain from her, but we can't. I carry my own, you carry your own. Pain is a very personal experience. So all I can do is to hold your hand and say, come on, you're not alone. You're not alone not because I'm here. You're not alone because the Lord is here. 
because the Lord Jesus Christ himself has been willing to take all of your pain on himself. And as he took his, your pain on himself and suffered that pain for you, he sanctified that pain. He redeemed that pain and he made that pain important and useful, not useless. And let me tell you one thing in all honesty. If I have to hurt, if I have to suffer, I would rather not suffer for nothing. I would rather, if I have to suffer, I would rather that suffering to serve a purpose because listen, the last thing I want is to go through pain and go through suffering and go through trials and troubles for nothing. What a waste. But in him, it has been redeemed. So what is Paul telling us at this, at this point? Not only that, through that hope, something absolutely amazing happens. And that something amazing is the fact that we're made free. Free from what? Free from having to go out and search for that love. We all crave to be loved. Every single one of us wants to be loved. And so we do the stupidest things in the world. We go out and look for that love everywhere else except for where the love comes from. But God says that his presence fills us with that love. And he makes us free from that endless and useless and futile search because he fills us with his love. And he makes us free to extend it, to express it, instead of looking for it. So instead of going around the whole day looking for people that we can use so that we can feel loved, we can now go around the day and serve others and express the love of God. And the more we give, the more he fills in what is needed. It was the Apostle Paul who reminded us that when we give generously, God pours out and shakes it and presses and pours it again and shakes it and presses and pours again until it overflows. We're not going to lack anything, but we need to understand the equation from the right angle. Like Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So not only we understand that, as I was saying a moment ago, but Paul here gives us a very important picture. The foundation of it all is our justification. A justification that we don't earn, that we don't deserve, that we don't gain, but is received by God, from God, in trust, and it brings peace. And on that foundation, the process takes place. What process? That as we continue to trust God, as we continue to express our faith, that trust in Him, as we continue to dwell in that peace, trials will cause us to ask questions. And as we ask those questions, we find the answers. And as we find the answers, our faith is strengthened. We grow by those trials. And as we grow, we forge character, a character that is not going to be lost. A character is going to make a difference for all eternity. And the means of expressing that character is the love of God that is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that we don't need to go and try to work out or work up, but we receive from him in faith and then we express it toward one another as he commanded us. And the outcome is that beauty of that grace and the sure hope that is going to blossom into the fullness of the glory of God. That is a lot. God has not left us. Not even when, when he feels like he's distant. Not even when he feels like he's quiet. God is always with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will always be there. 
sharing with us in the joys, sharing with us in the sorrows, sharing with us in everything, because he has not just taken over our sins. He has redeemed our entire life, a life that we can live in him in a completely different way. In fact, in verse 6, it says, while we were still helpless. I don't know if you ever noticed when you were reading that passage what it says. We are helpless. Paul here is not saying, work it up. Come on, guys, overcome. You can do it. You can do it. Come on, try harder. You know what happens when you try harder? Wham! You hit harder too. By the way, if I woke you up, welcome back. All right? That's what happens when you try harder. You hit harder. Against what? Against the limit of your helplessness. Look at that word and understand it. We are helpless. But at the right time, oh, that's interesting. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I even heard people dealing with theologies that say that Christ did not die for the ungodly. Died. Christ died only for the saints. And I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. Have you ever read the Bible? Yes, they read the Bible, but they somehow twisted because over centuries of debates and arguments, things have become so polarized that end up concentrating only on what's different from the other guy. And I say, yeah, I don't care what's different from the other guy. I want to care what the Bible says. And the Bible says very clearly, Christ died for the ungodly, not just for the saints. And by the way, who in the world is a saint without Christ? No one. While we were helpless... What can you do to earn that? Well, let's look at that word again. Helpless means nothing that you can do. Nothing that I can do. But at the right time, Christ died for you. Why? Because you are ungodly. I'm ungodly. We died. Christ died for all of us. And then he takes, makes a parenthetical thought, you know. One will hardly die for a righteous man, although perhaps for the good man someone would even dare to die. But who's good? Raise your hand. Oops, no one is raising the hand. Verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Please, please, please do not misunderstand that statement. It doesn't say sin is of no consequence. It doesn't say it's okay to keep sinning. It doesn't say it's okay to say to God, I don't care about what you say, I want what I want. It's not okay. And I'll tell you why it's not okay. Sin is so serious that the God Almighty, the creator of all things, came to be a human being to die for it. That means sin is a serious matter, serious enough for him to go through all that to make you free. Please do not take it for granted. But don't despair either, because God demonstrates his love toward you in that while you were yet sinner, Christ did not wait for you to become righteous before he gave his life for you, did he? Christ did not wait for you to be a saint. He died for you long before you even knew anything about him. So much more then. Because now we've been justified by his blood. Won't we be saved from the wrath of God through him? Listen, there is one picture the Bible portrays to us. Because the very same one who is the high priest, Jesus the Messiah, the very same one who is the lamb, the sacrificial lamb of God, Jesus the Messiah, is also the one that will be your ultimate judge, Jesus the Messiah. So imagine this for a second. You have a very hefty fine to pay. It's so big, there is no way that you can ever pay that fine 
And you know that if you don't pay that fine, you're going to spend the rest of your life in prison, in hard labor. And even then, you won't be able to pay that fine. But somehow, on your way to the courthouse, someone stopped you and gave you a piece of paper. And you look at the piece of paper and you see that that, re- that is a receipt that says paid in full for the amount of your fine. And you can't believe your eyes. The sun stranger would pay for your entire fine before you even enter the courthouse. And so with tears in your eyes, you, you look up and you say, thank you. And the person said, that's my purpose. That's what I do. So you put it in your pocket, you treasure it, right? Because that's your ticket. That says paid in full. And as you put it in your pocket and you treasure that piece of paper, you enter the courthouse because you still have to go and present yourself. You enter in the courthouse and finally your name is called up and you look up with tears in your eyes and you see the same man there on that chair as the judge that will judge you. And you think, man, I've, I got a maid. Because he's the same one that paid for me. And that is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, your Savior, your Judge. And knowing that you're justified by his blood, how much more are we going to be saved from the wrath of God through him? Because he is the Judge as well. For while we were yet enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son. So much more having now been reconciled, isn't he not going to save you? Through his life? If he was willing to give up his life, don't you think he's going to be willing to share it too? And then he closes this portion in verse 11 by saying, not only this, but we also exalt, well, there you go again, in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received that reconciliation. So whether we go through trials or troubles, whether we go through problems, whether we go through tribulation or suffering or, or, or whatever, we can exalt We can exalt because God has given us hope, a hope in his glory. We can exalt even in our tribulations because we know that they prepare us for the fullness of that glory. We can exalt even in the assurance of our reconciliation. You know what it means to be reconciled? Let me tell you something about that. It's a tiny, teeny, microscopic comparison. I remember having arguments with my wife. Oh yeah, yeah, we did too, okay. And I remember how it made me feel torn apart. It made me feel like like my heart was being shredded. It made me feel like it's something horrible. Then by the grace of God, I confessed my stupidity. She confessed her own. And the love of God stepped in again. And we were reconciled. And that reconciliation, man, it filled the heart like it was spring all over again. It was like blossoming everywhere with, with, with flower and color. It was just like a new life brought in. I'm talking about exalting, experiencing that joy. And yet, that is a microscopic example of the immensity of that reconciliation that we have with the creator and sustainer of the whole universe, who's not only been willing to come into this earth to be like one of us, to die for us, but has made this glory available to all of you. And it says, I want to share with you all things my entire kingdom, my entire glory. It's not just because of what we get out of it, is it? But because that reconciliation makes us one with him. And it mends all the problems, it mends all the pain, it heals all the cuts and the bruises, and it makes us one with the source of everything that is good. That's your God. Honor him, respect him, appreciate him. And if you ever feel helpless, remember, he knows. And that's why he died for you. Amen.